You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good afternoon, 1.30. How are we doing today? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. 1.30 is not messing around today. And you know why? Because you saw the baptism pool. You know baptisms are happening, but you got baptized on your way into church today by the water, and so we thank God for that. But before we do the teaching, I want to just take a brief time out and just pray just for a minute, okay? Um, as we bow before the Lord in prayer, here's my sense, and I started sensing this last service, is that some are a little on edge today walking into church, a little nervous or feel anxiety or whatever about this. And so we just pray, Lord, that you give us a calm and a peace and in, allow us to enjoy ourselves in your presence as we look into your word. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts so that our hearts and our minds are open, that we would be able to receive your truth today. Um, because your intentions for us are so good, and <laughs> we're so grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I like to read books and blogs and things like that that talk about how the broader culture views the church and Christian people. So I was really excited when I saw the new book called Good Faith that's written by some authors that I read everything that they write. It's uh, Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinnaman. And in this book, uh, the basic idea that they give us based upon loads of research is that it's harder to be a Christian these days because the culture thinks we're weird. The culture thinks that we are extremists and irrelevant. In fact, according to the research, 60% of Americans believe that you're extreme to share your faith. And so if you've shared the, the belief that uh, you believe Jesus is God um, and Jesus is in your life, then they think you're an extremist. 46% of our uh, culture or Americans believe that religion is part of the problem. So they would say that churches and Christians really aren't part of any solution to solve the social ills of our world, but are rather um, contributing towards the problem. And some people believe that we're so extreme that Christianity needs to be removed from the equation. Now, I understand why a lot of people don't have such a good viewpoint of Christians, right? I mean, you've seen like Westboro Baptist Church and the hate and judgment that they spew uh, towards people in our world, and certainly I would call that uh, extreme kind of behavior. But here's what's happening, is they're lumping loving and thoughtful Christians in with the judgmental haters, and that's simply not right. So, I understand much of the negative perception. I understand why, but what I want to communicate to you today is I believe that there's something else at work here in the shadows. It's not just as simple as cultural trends, but something else is going on. If you rewind in history, it's recorded that there was uh, a terrorist who would killed Christians. He would persecute them. In fact, he took a group of his thugs to kill one Christian pastor one day by stoning. He threw rocks at him and killed him. Well, this group of thugs and the lead terrorists were on the road to Damascus to go kill another group of Christians. And while they were on the road, a bright light started to shine down. Funny how those lights just turned on when I said that, right? But a bright light in this scenario, the light was so intense. Can you imagine an intensity of light that literally knocked the terrorist off of his horse 
onto the ground. While he's on the ground, he hears a voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? And the voice says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Don't you know that it's useless to fight against my will? And Saul, in those moments, he tried to open his eyes. As he opens his eyes, he couldn't see. He'd gone blind from this experience of light. And those of you that know the story know that Saul was taken to one of the homes, one of the very Christ followers that he was seeking to kill. And in that home, that loving, gentle man named Ananias prayed over him and something like scales fell from Paul's eyes. Why scales? Well, when the scales fell off, Saul could see again. And those of you that have read your Bibles and know the story know that this man, this terrorist, Saul, changed his name to Paul and became the great apostle who wrote much of the scriptures. But look at the calling that Paul had on his life after his physical and spiritual eyes were opened. And we see his calling in Acts chapter 26, verse 17. Jesus says, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of who? Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so Paul's journey was to deliver, save, help people from the very clutches of Satan over to God. And when he was in the midst of this mission, he gives us another hint into what's going on in the world. Look at Paul's teaching to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4, 3. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing the God of this age, by the way, if you're new to Bible reading, the God of this age is not the God of heaven. The God of this age is Satan. So Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so it's not quite just as simple to say that cultural trends are causing people to not understand Jesus. There is a spiritual element here where literal demons and Satan are blinding people's spiritual eyes so that they're not allowed to see the truth of God's love for them. So, um, what do we do? Well, in this series, we've said we want you to step up to your authority. We've said that in the spiritual warfare series, if you believed in Jesus, you're a powerful person and you have a new level of authority that maybe you don't even know that you have. You don't need a pastor or a priest to help you overcome evil forces. Now you have the power to do so. Mark 16, 17 says, and these signs will accompany those who believe, not just the pastors, those who believe in my name, they will drive out what? demons. And so the facet of your authority I want to show you today is you have the authority to remove spiritual blindfolds. And I'm going to empower you today with some truths from the scriptures that will show you how you can remove spiritual blindfolds. And one of the things I'm going to show you today is to remove blindfolds with blood. 
with blood. You're not shedding people's blood, right? That's not what we do, but let me show you the blood. In Revelation 12, 10, when the early Christians were being persecuted, and it says there, for the accuser of the brothers, by the way, that's Satan too, um, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the what? Blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony or their stories. And they did not love their lives so much to shrink back from death. And so Jesus' blood shed is a great blindfold remover. It is what we call in theological terms, substitutionary atonement. And I want you to say those two words with me when I point to you. You ready? Here we go. And substitutionary atonement is just a doctrine that says this. Simply put, it's that Jesus was our substitute when he died for us on the cross. And so now when God looks at you and I who have believed, he doesn't see us as guilty, but he sees the payment for our sin has been um, made. That is that Jesus took our place there on the cross and he sees you and I as perfectly pure and righteous because of the substitutionary atonement. And you've got to understand that in the spiritual realm, demonic forces hate substitutionary atonement. They hate the blood of Jesus. And here's why. It reminds them of their defeat. Look at what Paul says as he does a little spiritual trash talking in Colossians 2.15. He says, in this way, he, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, that is demons. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So you see what's going on there? We've talked about in this series power encounters in spiritual warfare where someone's like literally manifesting a demon and those are pretty rare um, for most of us. Um, but we've also talked about power, uh, a practical encounter. So there's power encounters and practical encounters. Now, most of us are experiencing practical encounters where we ha we're bombarded with these negative thoughts about ourselves, right? And remember, when we get bombarded with these negative thoughts that you're worthless or no, God doesn't care about you, God doesn't love you, God couldn't, couldn't in any way accept you, and what do we say to that? I don't receive that. And then if you want to add insult to injury, but not, don't just say, I don't receive that, but say, may the blood of Jesus prove you wrong. The blood of Jesus. You know why that's a big deal? I am worth something because God was willing to send his only son to shed his blood for my uh, sin payment. So I must be worth something, Jack. So I don't receive that. See, that is uh, a part of spiritual warfare, the blood. But let me show you another powerful blindfold remover, and it's the authoritative word. I call the Bible the authoritative word. And the reason I call it the authoritative word is because a lot of people don't view the Bible that way. Their Bible is not a sword. It's more like a letter opener. And here's what I do sometimes, and I've done this, and I've made my Bible a letter opener before, and I want to show you how. There are times where I don't like what the Bible says. You know why? Because the Bible sometimes confronts me. Now, it either comforts me or it convicts me. And a lot of times it convicts me. And you know what I don't like about that? Because it makes me, you know, it tells me I got to change my ways in some stuff. And you know what I like to do? I know just enough about interpreting things that I know how to tweak the Bible a little bit to make it say what I want it to say so I can do what I want to do. Because I don't want someone else telling me what to do. You know what I'm saying? But you know what I do when I tweak the Bible to make it say what I want it to say so I can do what I want to do and disobey God? 
I put on a blindfold. See what I'm saying? Have you ever met someone that does that? They say, well, to me, it means this. In other words, they're saying, I'm going to make it say what I want it to say. But what you got to understand is that the authoritative Bible trumps your opinion and my opinion. It trumps your bias and my bias, and it even trumps what our culture says. It doesn't matter what legislation is passed or what some politician says or what the broader culture says is true. This is the gold standard. This is the authoritative word. And one of the things that I thought was interesting about the research done in the Good Faith book by David Kinnaman is that the churches that are reaching younger generations of people are focusing on and have strong views about the Bible and are teaching the Bible. And you know why I think that's true? I think that younger people have been marketed at in such slick ways. They just want someone to tell it to them straight. Am I right about that? But here's the deal. I don't care if you're a millennial generation or baby boomer generation or generation X, Y, or Z. If you tweak the Bible to just accommodate your lifestyle and what you want to do, you just put a spiritual blindfold on and demons laugh at you. This word is meant to be obeyed and submitted to. And let me tell you about one of these weird encounters I had, okay? If you're new to church, put your weirdness seatbelt on, okay, just for a minute because it's going to get weird. And I'm going to tell you some stories that are a little bit strange and odd. But one time when I was in one of those power encounter situations where um, I was with a couple of people, we were ministering to this person who was literally manifesting demons, weird voices coming out of their mouth the whole nine yards. And I didn't know what to do because I tried saying in the name of Jesus be gone. And sometimes that, that works and sometimes it doesn't. It's always the right thing to do, but I didn't know what to do next. So you know what I did? I started reading this authoritative word. And I was reading at this person manifesting the demon. And I'm reading from Psalm chapter 2. And the reason I picked that text is because it talks about how God is so powerful that he trash talks his spiritual enemies. He laughs at them. He scoffs at them because it's humorous to God to think that anyone could think that they could come against him. And when I read that word about God's power, the person influenced by the demon slapped my Bible out of my hand. What is it about a Bible verse that would make a human want to slap it out of a pastor's hand? And I thought to myself, now we're getting somewhere, right? We loosen them up with this word of authority. But let me show you another blindfold remover, and that's what we call loving tolerance. Loving tolerance. Now, I'm going to compare and contrast loving tolerance or true tolerance uh, with false tolerance, because there's a lot of false tolerance going on today, isn't there? People who are tolerant of others as long as they agree, as long as they're politically correct. But a lot of people in our world today don't have room for um, people with different spiritual or religious views, you know? And so we're trying to practice this true tolerance in which we make accommodations for others that don't agree with us, but at the same time, we hold on to our distinctive beliefs. And I think a great model of this is Daniel from the Old Testament of the Bible. He was displaced in Babylon, and he made accommodations for people, yet keeping his distinctive beliefs at the same time. So he spent three years learning the culture and the literature of Babylon. <coughs> Excuse me. And then 
he was so competent that he was made secretary of state for the Babylonian leaders. And he worked under King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar got really angry at a group of the pagan philosophers. And so if, since Nebuchadnezzar had this anger problem, he was just going to kill them all. You know what Daniel did? Daniel became an advocate for the pagan philosophers that he disagreed with to make sure that they could stay alive. At the same time, Daniel kept his distinctive beliefs. He used the power of God, not the pagan powers, to interpret the dreams of the king. He also refused to bow down and pray to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar like the whole rest of the culture was doing. Daniel would not bow down, but he would only pray to the God of heaven because Daniel practiced loving tolerance. Loving tolerance recognizes that every human being, even human beings who disagree with the Bible and don't believe in God and hold to other forms of spirituality, are made in what's called the imago Dei or the image of God. Everyone uh, uh, is made in the image of God. And Jesus says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, doesn't it? We all benefit from the grace of God. That's called common grace. Now, I have a Muslim friend that I have to recognize the good in him, you know? I don't have to agree with him. I keep my distinctives, but I have to acknowledge the good in him, common grace. So I know lots of church people and Christian people who won't even acknowledge the good in other people if it doesn't happen in a Christian church, right? And so my Muslim friend uh, fixed my car. He helped me fix my car, and he did it for free during Ramadan. He also contributed to our Feed SA initiative to help feed the food insecure in our city. And he likes me, so he'll call me and ask me to pray for he and his family. And when I pray for them, I pray in the name of Jesus. Now, some of you would say, well, that's not right. I mean, you should practice the kind of tolerance where you just pray in the name of Allah because after all, Allah and Yahweh and Jesus are all the same. It's all these different roads getting to God. No, it's not. <laughs> Jesus says there's no other name in heaven on earth by which a man must be saved. And so I keep my distinctives and pray in the name of Jesus to keep my blindfold off and perhaps if God would will it, that his blindfolds would be removed as well. And so this is what we're calling loving tolerance. And here's what happens is that when we practice false tolerance, we put blindfolds on and we contribute to the blindfolds of others. But this next weapon I'm going to show you is what we call prayer, and not just prayer, but prayer in the spirit with fasting with the tribe. Prayer in the spirit uh, with fasting and with the tribe. Now, let me break this down for you. Prayer in the spirit, there's a lot of controversy around that. Some people uh, say it's one thing, some say it's another, but I think that praying in the spirit is like a diamond with many facets to it. So my belief is that part of praying in the spirit is praying the word of God, the authoritative word, I think it's also praying with an attitude of the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and the like. But I believe that praying in the Spirit is also praying in tongues, okay? Now, some of you who are new to church, let me explain what this is. 
praying in tongues is uh, praying. Some people will step out, start speaking, and another language comes through them supernaturally to pray in an unknown language. And what it does is it encourages that believer uh, in their spirit and in their heart. Now, when we look at weapons to use against demonic forces, the classic text on that is in Ephesians 6, what uh, we call the armor of God. And we talk about the, you know, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And what people do is they stop short on that teaching and they typically leave out praying in the spirit. But let me take you to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. At the end of the list of uh, our spiritual weapons, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And so now let's define what praying in the spirit is. Remember, I already said it's praying the Bible. That's one facet. Another facet is praying with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the like. But look at 1 Corinthians 14, 14. It says, for if I, Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. And so some people not everyone has the, uh, the gift of, or the praying in the spirit, the speaking in tongues. And there are some churches that are kind of weird and they make you feel like that you're not even a Christian if you don't speak in tongues. And that's just simply not true. Um, but let me tell you an instance, put on your weird seatbelt again for just a minute in this, this story of what happened when I was dealing with uh, this person, uh, you know, the whole deal. I had a couple of friends with me helping me there. I never do this kind of thing alone if I don't have to. And then this person's uh, manifesting demons. And I'd been called over to this home by this family. They weren't real religious. You know, they, don't, they didn't get to church very often. Um, and they weren't really open to spiritual things. They just knew that this person's manifesting something evil and weird that they didn't understand. And they wanted to get someone over there that could make it stop because it was really destroying their evening. And so they invited me to their home. I'm over there with these friends. I was new to this speaking in tongues, praying in the spirit kind of thing in my own life. And so it was still kind of odd for me. And we're sitting there trying everything we know to get these demons subdued, get them out of there. And uh, I read the Bible. I did everything I knew to do. And then I had this sense, an inner sense and prompting to pray in the Spirit. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, this family is not used to spiritual things. They're going to think I'm weird. Um, you know, memo to me, you know, I know all you all are thinking it. Pastor Doug, you're a weird dude, okay? Just accept it. Just embrace it, okay? I know I'm a weird dude. but So I went ahead and put myself out there and prayed in the Spirit right in front of this irreligious kind of family. When I did that demon was subdued. It worked that time. And all of a sudden, this family that was not open to spiritual things at all, they were very interested in uh, spiritual things at this point. You see what happened? Praying in the Spirit removed blindfolds from their eyes so that they could see what's really going on in the spiritual realm. But we not only pray in the Spirit, but also with fasting. So when the disciples couldn't cast a demon out of a boy, you know what Jesus told them in Matthew? Look at chapter 17, verse 21. He says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So sometimes there are like stronghold level demons or what the Bible calls a strong man. That's kind of like a CEO in the demon world, right? And in order to get those big dogs out, you have to fast. 
and pray. But another thing I want to show you is that you also pray with the tribe. That is, you have focused prayers with groups or your tribe of uh, Christian friends that pray uh, for a certain thing. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the weirdest encounters I've ever had in my life. And this was when I was with a tribe of people. We were going to serve people in an under-resourced under community in Chihuahua City, Mexico. And we were walking around this uh, town square, giving stuff to people, having spiritual conversation with people. And as I'm walking around, I see this weird lady um, not too far from us, and she had like her head shaved, and she had this scar down her forehead. I mean, I really thought she's going to bust out a lightsaber or something, that she's one of the Sith, you know? Um, she looked really weird, and then she gives me this look, right? I'm just minding my own business, talking to people, and she gives me this look like this. <laughs> like, it's like the oh, right? You know, it's like the evil I, and I'm thinking, what is your problem? I mean, I'm just, an, I, I'm not trying to do anybody any harm. And she gives me this evil look. And I thought to myself, before the end of the day, unfortunately, I'm probably going to end up in a conversation with this lady. And it was just as I feared. Um, I'm walking with my interpreter and the bald lady who looks like a Sith walks up right in front of us. And we start this exchange and my fears are realized when she starts manifesting these demons, talking in these weird voices, and it wasn't like I was used to because it was out in public, right? I mean, typically we try and do these things in private so uh, nobody gets weirded out, but it was out in public in a town square, and there was a whole group of people right here to my left at a bus stop waiting on their bus, and they're watching the spiritual circus go on right in front of God and everybody, and then behind me is my tribe of friends. They're praying, and when we get in, to this uh, spiritual conflict with this like bald lady who was obviously involved in the occult in some way and these things are manifesting then one of them surfaces this like an accuser you know doesn't the bible say their demons are like the accusers of the brethren and so they start picking on my interpreter and they, this one reminds her of a specific sin that she had committed years ago that she was very ashamed of it was a sin she had committed back in Puerto Rico when she used to live there. How did this bald lady know about a specific sin in my interpreter's life? It was the weirdest thing. Well, the, the tribe behind me continued to pray, and they formed what I would call a prayer wall. They're just praying like crazy, like out loud towards this uh, bald, witchy, you know, Sith lady. And you know what happened? She starts running away and she yells out in English, just quit your damn praying and she runs away. Well, you know what happened? Everybody at the bus stop, all the people there, they start applauding because they had never seen anyone stand up to the bald lady before in their life. And we found out from some of the locals why they were also afraid of her. One of the reasons the men were afraid of her because if she gave you the evil eye, the oh you would go impotent, right? And so all the men were afraid of her uh, because then they couldn't, you know, you know. Uh, just so, just for the record here, after that experience and that encounter, my wife and I had two children, okay? So everything's all good here, you know what I'm saying? But you know what God was doing there that day? He was showing a crowd of people at a bus stop that he is more powerful than the bald lady. He was removing spiritual blindfolds so people could see that the bald lady is not all that powerful, that he is more powerful 
than anyone. And so as I think about this, I think about all the Christians that are kind of freaking out these days because the the culture is growing more and more hostile towards people who claim the name of Christ. I think it's awesome. I think we have an amazing opportunity right now because we know part of what's causing that. It's not just cultural trends. We see into the spiritual realm and we have a huge opportunity in the coming days. Lots of Christians are living in all this fear, hoping that America will just go back to the way it used to be. There's no going back. There's only moving forward. And the way forward is to live out authentic and loving Christianity and be spiritual warriors. We're not going back. We're moving forward as loving spiritual warriors in the moment that God has called us to. And that moment is now. And I'm hopeful because it's now that God is going to use you and I to remove spiritual blindfolds from people because the powers of darkness are being exposed by the light of the truth of God's word and they will no longer be allowed to keep the poor and oppression as we uh, uh, enlighten them with the truth of God's word and they'll no longer be able to destroy the lives of orphans and widows as we love and serve them. And you know what they've done, the demons? They've awakened a sleeping giant. And you know who that sleeping giant is? It is the body of Christ called City Church Downtown. It's you. And I know that many of you are waking up to these realities. And because you're waking up to these realities, you're no longer going to allow them to jack up your relationships and unnecessarily damage your health and divide you from other people and attack our children or discourage church volunteers. And you guys are waking up to your authority to keep them from being able to cause bitterness and jealousy or rejection or fear. And most of all, you guys are waking up to see that we can remove the blindfolds from people's spiritual eyes so they can no longer be uh, blinded from the truth that Jesus loves them and wants to be a part of their lives. And so with that in mind, what I want you to do right now is bow your heads and close your eyes. And those of you that are walking with God, believers in Jesus, I want you to form like a prayer wall right now, just praying in your own hearts and mind, praying and begging God, God by your spirit, Please remove blindfolds from people's eyes in this very room that God has brought here by his sovereign choice and his loving and gracious hand. Start praying that. Form the prayer wall, tribe. Thank you, Lord. That you're reaching out, drawing people to yourself. Thank you, good Father that you sent your son. As we continue in prayer, perhaps a few of you are feeling or sensing something drawing you toward God. You've never had a relationship with God before in your life. You may not even believe in him, but for some reason you feel this sense, this drawing of the spirit of God. While you have the window of opportunity, I wanna beg you to believe in Jesus today because without him you have no protection against the dark spiritual forces in this world and so while you have a window of opportunity the bible says today of this day is the day of salvation you don't know what a day might bring forth your life is like a vapor and it's here today gone tomorrow and while you have the opportunity to believe take advantage of that opportunity by simply praying just between you and god just say look god i 
I know I've sinned, and God, I know in my heart and mind that my sin is hideous before you. So now I choose to believe that Jesus was my substitute on the cross. He took the penalty for my sin. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, I believe that I can now have a relationship with you. Welcome into my life. Come on in, Lord. As we continue in prayer, perhaps there are some of us who believed that a long time ago. But some of us feel more like a wimp than a warrior right now. Because we've allowed this fake kind of uh, tolerance to come into our lives and we've not allowed the word of God to be authoritative with us and we just want to pray to Jesus something like this Jesus look I don't just want you to be my savior but I want you to be my Lord and I submit to you as Lord and King and Jesus I'm sorry that I've been afraid to be a spiritual loving warrior and right now I turn from my sin of fear and being a spiritual wimp and I ask you to help me help me up start walking again and let go of all that crap that's in my life that I don't need to hang on to and I turn from it as sin and turn towards you Father I thank you for what you're doing in our church right now to prepare us for spiritual war and battle and we pray that as we observe this beautiful sacrament of baptism that you would be pleased and that it would be a great picture of how you're bringing people to life spiritually people who once were blind but now can see so we thank you for what you're doing among us and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit Amen now, before we start baptizing today, um, if you'll allow me to, I need to challenge some of you for just a little bit, push on you just a little bit, okay? You know I love you, but here's the deal. Some of you have believed and you've never taken the first step of obedience to be baptized. Okay, and then you're thinking about becoming a spiritual warrior, right? Well, how are you going to be a warrior when you don't even have the courage to stand up in front of a group of people that love you and are going to cheer you on at your baptism? You've not had the courage to do that. And so I want to lovingly just challenge your push on you a little bit to step up. Come on, man. It's sitting hard. If you're in the video cafe, you think you're hiding out over there? No, I, I, you're, I know you're over there. All you need to do is get up from the video cafe, walk across the way, walk into the lobby of the theater and get registered to be baptized. And those of you in the theater, some of you, you believe for a while, but it is time to step up. Come on, man. Come on. When we stand up here in a minute to sing and stuff, I want you to get up from your seat. I want you to go to that. Uh, lobby and get registered. I've seen people that are so fired up about this and that are just saying, hey, look, I'm not going to mess around anymore. I want to go all the way with this thing. I've seen people get in the baptism pool with all their clothes. They don't even borrow the baptism shirts and shorts and stuff that we, we, we let you borrow. And so whether you use our clothes or not, I want to challenge you today to step up, step out, and get down this aisle right here after you've got registered in the lobby. And you're going to come down this aisle to my right, your left, 
And we're going to observe one of the most beautiful things that God has given for us to do. Okay, let's stand up together and worship the Lord as we watch a picture of new life.
Father, we thank you that you let us look on such beauty and wonder. <laughs> thank you that the good angels are looking down in amazement and awe on the great work of the gracious hand of the living God. And so for these baptisms that are such a reflection of your kindness, goodness, and grace, we give you praise, credit, honor, glory, props, and the like. <laughs> thank you, Lord. You're so good, over the top, and we thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Everyone said a big amen, amen. boom shakalaka, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.